I've got so many accoutrements. <laughs> um, so people in chairs, feel free to move forward because there's some rows of um, cushions that we put out that don't have people in them and I just feel like you're really far away. So let's just give you, no, no, you, but feel free to actually pick up your chair and come forward, yeah? So we'll just give you a few seconds to do that. And if there are people sitting in the back who wish they were in the front, there are three premier front row seats right here for anyone who wants to move forward, especially if you can't see. Okay, so welcome. This is very exciting. Um, in San Francisco, I used to be very much involved in a lot of activist work. And one of the things that we would say to kind of galvanize our energy and make us kind of feel confident in the work we were doing was, we would say, we are the ones we've been waiting for. So, <laughs> we could just look around and think, we are the ones we've been waiting for. And we've now arrived, and here we are. Isn't it fantastic? Isn't it miraculous? Um, so, yeah, I think the first thing I want to say is, um, I want to just express tremendous gratitude to the Buddhist Center for taking me up on the offer to do this course. I think I had a very, it must have been like a 30 second conversation with Chandana where I came back from doing a retreat that I've been running for a couple of years now at Taraloka called Radical Embrace. And I was just chatting with him. I said, oh, I wonder what it would be like to do it as an eight week course in an urban setting, you know, as people are out in their lives and then coming back every week. And uh, he said, yeah, great. And, I, and that was it, it's done. I was, like, I was like, don't you need to get improved or something? So, um, yeah, I'm so really grateful for the confidence um, that he had in me to be able to come and do this. And also very, very grateful to my preceptor and teacher, Viveka, who was uh, very instrumental about 10 years ago in, in introducing um, a, a focus on this sutta into the movement, um, which surprisingly uh, was controversial at the time, which now you think, how, why? why? Um, but at the time it was sort of like, well, what is this? We don't know what this is. And there was quite a process to kind of integrate it in. And now it is quite integrated. There's lots of people running retreats on this material. Um, there's uh, lots of commentaries, uh, things that have been developed. Uh, we have some materials uh, that we'll sh I'll show you later from other order members that have studied and taught this sutta quite closely. So yeah, just a lot of gratitude that, to that collective building up of a, of a knowledge base around the sitta um, over, yeah, over the last 10 to 15 years within, and I'm sure even before that, within our own tradition. So I feel like I'm, you know, nothing I'm gonna say or offer um, over the next eight weeks is new or is um, unique, uniquely mine. It's just been passed down. So it's just um, kind of a lineage of teaching that's flowing from me uh, to you, and then hopefully you'll go out and share it with others as well. So it just flows on. 
um, and it won't be perfect. So, you know, you might like some things, you might not like other things. We're going to do lots of different things together. Um, so trying to kind of meet the needs of various learning styles. Um, and some people like big groups, some people like small groups, some people just want to meditate, some people want to talk about it. So we'll do lots of different things, yeah? Um, so I thought we'd actually just start with grounding ourselves in our inspiration um, and arriving, because we've all had full days. Um, I myself had a very full day. I woke up in London this morning, and now I'm here. Um, so I thought we would chant the refuges and precepts, and we'll do that in unison, because I'm assuming, given the audience, we all know them. Um, and then we'll just have a very short sit just to arrive. And I won't lead that, so you can, just, you can just arrive in whatever way works for you. Yeah, just bring yourself in to relationship with yourself and with kind of the um, experience of being here now in this moment with each other. We'll just, we'll just sit for about 10 minutes. So, refuges and precepts. Namo tasa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa Namo tasa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa Namo tasa bhagavato Remedy 
with deeds of loving kindness, I purify my body. With open-handed generosity, I purify my body. With stillness, simplicity, and contentment, I purify my body. With truthful communication, I purify my speech. With mindfulness clear and radiant, I purify my mind.
Okay. So we're going to um, arrive a bit more. So what I'd like to invite you to do is I'd like you to, um, and I'd like to invite you to turn to somebody next to you. And you're just going to say a bit about um, what you're doing here. <laughs> what are you doing here? And then um, we're not going to be able to hear back from everyone because we're such a big group, but we'll just hear a few snippets from some people and maybe you'll resonate with what you hear from others. And maybe you won't. Um, but yeah, just what are you doing here? <laughs> yeah, it's just that, yeah? Just for like three minutes max. Is that enough time to just for each of you to share a snippet? Okay, good. Um, so raise your hand if you know what you're doing here. <laughs> Great. Maybe we can maybe we can learn something from you. Um, so I have a confession to make. I think Dianandi will find this particularly funny because she's my public preceptor. Um, so when I asked for ordination, I just did it because everyone else was doing it. <laughs> it's true. I had no idea what I, what I was asking for. I had no idea. Um, so we don't know. We don't know. Uh, we, we, we show up because other people are showing up. We show up because we have um, some sort of mysterious intuition that something good might happen. Um, so I just... I think, it's, I think it's really interesting for us to ask ourselves that question, to ask each other that question, and to keep asking the question. Because um, there's so many different layers. There's, we, we stand in contradiction to ourselves. We stand in contradiction to each other. Um, sometimes we keep showing up even when we don't want to, which is very interesting, isn't it? So how many of you debated coming tonight? Raise your hand. Yeah, good. Thank you for your honesty. So it's fine. We're just bringing all of that. Bring it all in. It's all, it's all part of the process. 
Um, you don't have to know what you're doing here. Mm -hmm. and actually, I think it'd be kind of boring if we thought we knew, yeah? We are going to end this evening with a short uh, ritual around setting intention. And I think it is important to get clear about what our intentions are, so it'll help us to engage in the week if we have something that we just want to um, make more conscious about what we're going to be working with in, our, in ourselves in the next eight weeks. Um, so, you know, it can be really simple. Like, I went on a retreat um, earlier this year, and my intention was just, I just want to let whatever's arising in my experience arise without having to know what it is. So I, I became aware that I had this habit of needing to pin down my experience, like, oh, that's anger, and I know what anger is, and it's that thing, and now it's here, and now I'm going to work on getting rid of it. So there's something about, for me, I had an intuition, like maybe if I just actually let whatever's there be there without having to pin it down, something will happen, and something else might happen, and something else did happen. Um, I won't go into the details of that, but it was quite a strong experience for me on that retreat because of that intention that I set, and I couldn't have known that uh, when I set the intention. So we will do that at the end of tonight. So you know, you could be reflecting through the evening what your intention might be. And maybe that question of what are you doing here sparked a bit of that for you, just starting to scratch the surface of that uh, question. So um, some logistical things about the course. First thing, uh, and very important to say, is that we're all um, either order members or mitras. So this course is free to you. Um, I'm volunteering my time. Uh, the center isn't expecting to make anything off of my back, for, so to say. But um, you know, if you've been practicing here for a long time and you have benefited from that and you continue to benefit from that, um, which I'm assuming is true because you've shown up tonight, and you haven't yet set up a standing order with the center, I would really, really encourage you to do that. And taking this course could be the impetus for you to do that. So you could just think, oh, I'm just paying for my course. Um, and you could even get so specific as to think, well, how much would I have paid for that course? And maybe you could spread that out over the course of the next year. Um, even if, you know, whatever you can afford, even if it's just a pound a month, um, to make that commitment to the center, yeah? And then um, if you're not in a position to take out a standing order, we're just saying just donate whatever you feel like, um, give whatever you feel like you can for the course. And just as a matter of um, comparison, uh, I think Breathworks is charging something like, it, it's embarrassing because I work for Breathworks and I can't remember how much we charge because I can't hold numbers in my mind. But I think it's somewhere around 250 pounds for an eight week course. So if you need like some kind of ballpark figure, <laughs> just think around that. And then work your way up or down depending on how much you make, how many resources you have available to you, yeah? Okay, so that's, yeah, just to say the spirit of generosity flows both ways. So I'm being generous, and maybe you could also be generous in, um, in helping the center to continue to operate and put on things like this and share the Dharma. Um, so the, you all have a course outlined in front of you, so I just want to go over that, just so you have a sense of what you're getting yourself into, and then you can decide, or maybe, maybe you didn't really want to come, and then you don't have to come back, yeah? Um, so we're here at week one, we're just getting started. So I'm going to do um, a bit of an introduction to the sutta and um, introduce us to the first foundation of mindfulness, which is the body. So we're going to do some work around breath and body tonight.
and the intention sending, as I mentioned. And there'll be home practice every week. So this is part of the um, beauty of doing this over an eight-week course is you can go away, put some things into practice, come back, report back about it. So we won't actually be doing very long chunks of practice together um, on the evenings that we're together because um, this is the time to kind of workshop it and then you'll go away and you'll be expected to have time in your life to make the time to put it into practice, yeah? So there's um, a suggestion that for the next uh, couple weeks actually to do um, body scans followed by mindfulness of breathing practice um, and it says 20 to 40 minutes because some of you may want to sit longer than others. You could sit for even longer than that if you want. Um, there's a suggestion to start meditation diaries. Now we're not going to do anything with those, but I find those really useful as a way to track what I'm noticing in my practice. And it also helps with what you might bring back to the group when we come, when we come together every week. So there, if that's something that you might find useful, it's just a suggestion. Um, we're going to be doing uh, something called Insight Dialogue, uh, which I'll say a bit more about later, and there's a handout, so you could review that um, over the week. And then also, this is, um, this is suggested reading. It's not, you know, well, nothing's mandatory. <laughs> but uh, you don't have to, to get the fullness out of the course, you don't have to read along. But if you're someone, again, who likes to read along, um, and you have the time and the space, I'd highly recommend uh, reading along with this, which is pretty much um, has been and continues to be my, my own meditation manual, uh, Breath by Breath, uh, The Liberating Practice of Insight Meditation by Larry Rosenberg. If you don't have um, a copy of this book yet, I believe they're stocking the bookstore with them. If not, um, you can get them online pretty easily. And I'm getting a nod from Rich, so I'm assuming that means, yeah, there are some downstairs. Um, so then, in week two, um, we're going to do a bit of a recap of this week and go a bit deeper with some of the themes around breathing with the body. Um, and then talk a bit about other practices that can support the practice. So we don't, you know, when we engage intensely in one practice, we don't forget our other practices. They're, they are complementary. Um, Lama Govinda talks about um, as we go deeper in, in different practices, meditation practices, we're just add, adding to the mandala of our practice. So just saying a bit about um, the just sitting and the meta practices as supports to mindfulness of breathing. Um, and then we'll do an introduction to the insight dialogue. So this is um, a tool from Gregory Kramer. You could also get that book if you wanted to, if you were like really um, wanting to be an A student and read that book too. Or you can just read the handout, which pretty much summarizes what it is. Um, so that's how we're going to do our groups. It's quite a structured way to support one another in collective exploration of what's arising in our practice. Um, and some reporting in. More home practice. Week three, I won't be here for week three. Um, I have work commitments that take me away for two out of the eight weeks. But it's great because we've managed to structure the course in a way that doesn't really matter that I'm not here. So in week three, um, Simnadipa will be doing a guided meditation drawing on the themes from the first two weeks, grounding in the body. And then um, you'll spend most of the evening in your insight dialogue group. So that'll be the first time that you do full insight dialogue. So in week two, we're just sort of reporting in in our groups, and then in week three, we'll actually really engage with the practice fully. Um, and then there'll be more home practice. And then in week four, we move on to the feelings tetrad. So that's the second foundation of mindfulness. Um, 
week five, that'll be the second week that I'm away. So that, again, there'll be an opportunity to go deeper with feelings. Um, another meditation with Sunadipa and Insight Dialogue groups. Week six, we'll work with breathing with the mind or chitta. Um, and actually, we're going to have a, a ritual that week because uh, that that uh, particular session can be quite strong. It's about really, um, in a way, turning right towards our um, negative mental states, our most uh, the kleshas, the most the things that we're running away from usually, or sort of banishing. We don't want to know about. Um, so we're going to do some ritual to kind of help us engage with that a bit more, um, engage the heart in that. Um, and then week seven, we'll do the last foundation, which is Dhamma's, you could say, wisdom, um, reality, everything. <laughs> uh, it's quite a mysterious tetrad, that one. Um, so we'll talk about that. We'll do some more meditation, some more insight dialogue. And then week eight is sort of wrapping it up. So as you can tell, things start to get a, a bit less specific towards the end of the course, because in a way, I don't really know what's going to be happening by then. Um, so I don't want to nail things down too much. So when it says lead meditation and inquiry, that just means we'll explore something together and it'll be meaningful, hopefully, to you. Um, and then an ending ritual. So any questions about, is this kind of what you feel like you signed up for? <laughs> you don't know, do you? <laughs> it's just a road map. <laughs> it's flat. It doesn't have any color. Okay, good. Um, so, so yeah, so I want to set the stage a bit. Um, I don't know if who, whoever built this shrine is in the room. Is whoever built this shrine in the room? No? Do we know who did it? Was it Moksha Kriya? Well, let's just all appreciate the beauty of the shrine. Uh, it's pretty outrageous, isn't it? In a, in a good way. When I walked in, I just I felt like my breath got taken away, and I thought, oh my god, yes, of course, it's all about Sangha. Um, so yeah, we can just appreciate that. And we've got Bonte, who we can just have immense amounts of gratitude for the context, because none of us would, I mean, who knows? I have no idea what I'd be doing if... Bhante hadn't started the movement like right now at this moment in time. I don't know what you all think you might be doing, but it wouldn't be sitting here getting on with waking up. Or maybe it would be. It, would be, it could be sitting somewhere else getting, getting on with wake, waking up, but it wouldn't be in this context. Yeah, straight, when you said built the shrine, did you mean who made the shrine? Tonight? Who made this shrine, yeah. Oh. Who decorated who it? Oh, you did. Jill. Aww. Thank you. No, no, I'm like sorry. Built. <laughs> yeah, no, built like built as in this manifestation <laughs> that we have today. Um, and then we've got Aryamati here, who uh, most likely would have been here. I don't know if she'd signed up for the course or not. I've no, I haven't looked at the bookings. Had she signed up for the course, so she would have been here in body. She's definitely here in spirit, so we can keep her in mind. Uh, I really felt her during that ten minutes. I just felt her presence right here. It's fantastic. Um, so we've got, you know, we've got all these supports, and um, we've got a context, so we've got a place to come, and we've got people to join us, and to join. And that's exactly what was happening when the um, Buddha taught this sutta. So he'd already been practicing very intensely with a whole um, 
assortment of monks, thousands of monks, I think. I don't remember what the exact number is. I don't know if it's actually in the sutta, how many of them. But we're assuming lots, because the sutta goes on to, to kind of describe all of these monks and how much attainment they had and how many people they were teaching. And it was just, a, it was a very vibrant time in the Buddha's life. Um, they were, it, had, it was the time of the rainy season retreat. And um, what happened in India during the rainy season retreat is the Buddha and all of his followers would stop and they would just stay in one place and meditate in a, in a forest or in a grove. And then they'd go out and do their alms rounds and go back. So they didn't wander during that time. And I've heard, actually I'm not sure if this is true or if I'm making it up, but I thought I'd heard somewhere that the, the reason for that was quite practical because during that time the farmers were, um, things were growing in the fields and if the Buddha and his monks were wandering they would kind of trample everything. So it was like this way to just stay put and just get on with really intensive practice. So they'd been doing that for three months. And this is so heartwarming. Uh, I just love this part of, part of the story. Um, the Buddha was so pleased with his sangha, so pleased with the community and with the context that they created, that he decided that he was going to stay with them for another month to encourage them on in their practice. So he extended the period of, this, of the rainy season for another month, for a fourth month, and then he delivered this sitta. So he must have thought that they were ready for it, uh, they built up a, enough of a sense of uh, individual and collective practice to be able to go to this um, level of, of depth in their practice. Um, and he just, he felt a lot of confidence. So we can have confidence, um, because obviously we have access to these teachings, um, that we're, you know, 80% of success is, is arriving, isn't it? So we've arrived, we're here. Um, and yeah, and we're ready. We're, you know, if you have any doubt in your mind, you know, can I do it? You can just drop that, you're ready. You're ready because you've arrived. So that's, that's kind of what was going on. That was the stage, that was the context. And, um, you know, the Buddha comes through very, very strongly in the sutta. He's so direct. It's very pith, the teaching. And um, it's fantastic that we've got this particular rupa because um, this is Amitabha associated with meditation. So, um, so, yeah, so we can connect directly with the Buddha through the rupa. We can even feel the presence of the Buddha coming through the words and coming through ourselves, yeah, as we engage with it and as we engage with each other. So um, I just thought it'd be nice to, to hear a bit about how the Buddha described the community. So I'll just read from the, um, directly from the sutta. And um, Larry Rosenberg really makes, um, takes pains to say that when the Buddha addresses the monks, he wasn't just, um, it, can, it can basically, we can deduce from what was going on at that time that this teaching was also um, meant for lay people. So it wasn't just meant for the monks and the nuns, but it was also meant for lay people. <laughs> so he says, um, Monks, this assembly is free from idle chatter, devoid of idle chatter, and is established on pure heartwood. Such is this community of monks, such is this assembly. This sort of assembly that is worthy of gifts, worthy of hospitality, worthy of offerings, worthy of respect, an incomparable field of merit for the world. Such is this community of monks, such is this assembly. The sort of assembly to which a small gift, when given, becomes great 
and a greater gift greater. Such is this community of monks, such is that assembly. That sort of assembly that is rare to see in the world. Such is this community of monks, such is this assembly. The sort of assembly that it would be worth walking great distances, taking along provisions in order to come and observe. Provisions. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so that's us. We're rare, we're rare in this world. Um, I don't, I don't have idle conversations in the Buddhist Center. Sometimes I might engage in sort of chit-chat, but it's for something greater, isn't it? It's towards connection. I think at um, Aryamati's funeral, one of her friends said that she never wanted to talk about the price of fish or the color of the curtains. That really struck me. I thought, yeah, that's right. That's how we should be. Um, so yeah, I just love that description, and I think it's if at any time we doubt ourselves as practitioners, we can go back and read that and just own it. Like, yeah, that's, that's me, that's us. And we, um, we are ready for this small gift that will become greater. So I think, I don't know this, but when I read that, I thought he was talking about what the teaching he was just about to deliver. It's quite a small gift. This sutta's quite short, actually, compared to lots of others. But it's, everything is there. It's the whole of the path in a very few amount of words. Um, and it becomes greater because it's put in a very receptive and ready uh, receptacle, you could say, or instrument. We could think of ourselves as instruments for the Dharma. So, so yeah, just to say a bit more about um, the beginning, so we're not going to study the whole sutta, so there's, there's four tetrads that we're going to focus in on, which are the tetrads that take you through the four foundations of mindfulness. And then after that, the Buddha goes into more detail about how you apply that teaching to the four foundations and to the seven factors of awakening. We're not going to go into that in these eight weeks, we're just going to focus on the tetrads. But you can feel free, again, if you read the whole commentary, you'll get more of that depth and you can feel free, obviously, to study the sutta in your own time. Um, so where, where it begins for us is in the next instruction that the Buddha gives after he's gone through quite an extensive description of the levels of attainment of the monks, which I'm not going to go into, but again, if you're interested, you can read that on your own. So in the next section, he says, so he's been talking about mindfulness of in and out breathing as this, um, well, this perfect practice, you could say. And then he says, now, how is mindfulness of in and out breathing developed and pursued so as to bring the four foundations of mindfulness to, the, to their culmination? The meditator, having gone to the forest, to the shade of a tree, or to an empty building, sits down with legs folded crosswise, body held erect, and setting mindfulness to the fore. Always mindful, one breathes in. Mindful, one breathes out. So the meditator, that's you. Um, we are in an empty building that's full of us, but otherwise, especially this room, quite empty, dedicated to space, to practice, dedicated space for practice. We're sitting down, 
Um, some of us will not cross our legs, some of us will, that's fine. Whatever um, supports uprightness yet a relaxed uh, posture. And then this is very mysterious line, setting mindfulness to the fore. There's a lot of debate about what, about the translation of that or what the Buddha meant by that. There actually isn't um, agreement about what the Buddha meant by that. Um, but it's very evocative. Um, so we are, you know, we all have continuity of purpose, otherwise we wouldn't have arrived in this room tonight. Um, so in a way, you're being driven by something. And I do often get a sense that it's something kind of here that I'm kind of <laughs> being pulled forward by. So in a way, it's like we're just taking all of that um, intention, all of that, everything that's um, come before, you could say, we're, and we're remembering to be here now. So we're kind of, it's like, um, my sense of it is it's like bringing everything to bear on this moment. So it's like setting mindfulness for like, I am here. <laughs> and you could think like if one's mindfulness was um, to be kind of solidified or something, it probably would be like, I kind of have the sense it would be like here. I don't know why that is, like energetically. So you could, maybe for you it's somewhere else. Or the, that line evokes something else for you. Um, but it's something about remembering something very, very important. Yeah. Remembering, it's like, what was, was I going to do? What was I going to do? Oh yeah, setting mindfulness to the fore. I was going to sit. I was going to turn inwards. So this, um, I also take this kind of preamble about saying, you know, the meditator's gone and established himself or herself um, and set mindfulness to the fore. I think of it as um, just the criticalness of preparation and of setting up the right conditions. So we can, you know, obviously we're not going to go to the forest. Well, maybe some of you will go to the forest in the next week. Um, but in our own homes, we can kind of evoke that same thing. So I'm going to go to where I meditate. I'm going to have something there that reminds me of my inspiration. I'm going to sit. I'm going to set mindfulness to the floor. I'm going to do the practice. So it's like every time we arrive um, in our posture, it's like that moment that the Buddha is describing is alive for us every single time we sit, no matter what's happening. It's just that, um, that ritualistic act and the power of that. So I guess what I'm trying to say is don't um, underestimate the power of that intention and that act, even if you only sit for 30 seconds. I think that's more powerful than not sitting at all, not, not going through those motions at all. <clears throat> So the, the posture, also, just to say a bit about the posture, um, I, don't, I don't know how you all are in your posture, um, but feel free to, to play with your posture yeah, over the next eight weeks. So you may be someone who's been meditating for t 10 years and you always sit cross-legged and that's just what you do and you never change it up. Maybe change it up and see what happens. Um, so don't assume that how you're sitting is the way you're always going to be sitting, or, or assume that you know how to be in your posture. There may be things that, I remember um, about 10 years ago, I was actually on retreat, I was studying Satipatthana with Vidyamala, and I had this whole weird thing come up around my, my, um, 
my face, my head was slightly cocked this way. And I just noticed it for the first time. I'd already been meditating for about five years. And it, it wasn't something I needed to correct, but it just, I became aware of that, yeah? So there's just so much going on in kind of the alignment of the body that we can just have deeper and deeper awareness of. So yeah, just to say, um, take care of yourself in your posture. Don't assume anything um, about how it is. And if you want help with your posture, I'm really happy to give you some guidance. So during a tea break or at the end of a class, if you want that, please feel free to ask me and I'd be happy to kind of do a little workshop with you to help you with your posture. Is there anyone who has any questions about posture that's important to get out now? Like anything you're struggling with that you feel like you won't be able to keep going unless it's addressed? <laughs> okay, good. You all look pretty comfortable, so that's good. Okay, so we're just going to do... Um, a short body scan just to help us uh, arrive a bit more fully and do some inquiry afterwards and I'll say more about about that when we get there so just setting yourselves up in your posture Does everyone still want the windows open? <laughs> are people happy with the windows open are you cold okay so maybe we should just close them a bit, yeah? Do you mind just closing them about halfway? Okay, so if you're already in your posture and ready to go, so just check in with points of contact with the floor. And uh, one thing you can do as you um, begin to check in with the points of contact with the floor, with the cushion, with the chair, uh, so sitting bones, uh, parts of the legs or the feet that are touching the floor is um, you can actually I find this quite helpful so I'll just share it you may you may or may not find it helpful but it can be an opportunity to just connect in with uh, the earth and in particular connecting with the quality of stillness in the earth um, so this is something that's always available to us that we can access at any moment uh, it's quite surprising, actually. <laughs> so just tuning in to the fact that um, we're connected to this earth, and it's still. It's very, very still. And we can drop into that any moment. And then when you're ready, closing the eyes. So I'll just take us through the body, starting with the feet. So noticing sensations here.
And if you're not aware of sensations in the feet, just noticing the absence of sensation. So can you be aware of the foot even if you don't have a sense of anything happening there? And then perhaps maybe through bringing your awareness to that part of the body, you do become aware of even subtle sensations. And then moving into the ankles and the lower legs. You can notice a sense of pressure if the legs are in contact with the floor or a chair. Maybe the sensation of clothing against the skin. there's something pleasant in the sensations, you can notice that. Also notice anything unpleasant. Without trying to change anything about the experience. Moving awareness into the knees, the fronts and backs of the knees. And then into the thighs. Just seeing what's there. And just seeing if you can't release the weight of the legs a bit further into the ground, into the earth. So if there's any holding in the legs, just seeing if you can't breathe into that space of holding and just Encourage a letting go. So trusting the earth to hold the weight of the legs. And then moving into the sitting bones. So here, we could even imagine roots 
coming down through the sitting bones into the earth, rooting us down. And then from that place, imagining the spine rising up. So well supported and upright. So from the sitting bones, just moving your awareness in your own time up the back. And as you go, just seeing if you can't, again, release tension in the back, allow the weight of the back to fall down through the sitting bones, even as it's rising up. So finding a place of balance between being rooted and solid and rising up out of that place. Breathing into the back, noticing sensations of the breath in the back. With each out breath, allowing the shoulders to fall down and away from the ears. Allowing the arms to flow naturally out of the shoulders and supporting the weight of the arms either with a blanket or a cushion or just resting on the legs, whatever you find comfortable. Noticing sensations in the arms, moving from the upper arms to the elbow and the lower arms. Noticing sensations in the wrists and hands. Maybe giving the hands permission to let go. There's nothing to do now. Aware of the rise and, rise and fall of the chest with each breath. And then moving the awareness up into the throat. Notice if there's any clenching in the throat. See if you can't release there. Allowing the jaw to hang loose, lips slightly parted soft cheeks, eyes falling back into the skull, skin of the forehead and scalp spreading and softening against the skull, 
all the sensations there, just bringing them into awareness. You can even notice the sensations of the sound of my voice in your ear, other sounds coming and going. And then bringing your awareness to the heart center. And from there, just expanding your awareness out now to include the whole of the body. This whole field of sensations coming and going, pleasant, unpleasant, neutral. Breathing with and sitting with the fullness of that experience. Just as it is. Okay, so that's arriving. Um, so you could do you can do a body scan for as short as or as long as you want. It can be a whole practice in and of itself, or just a preparatory um, exercise to establish yourself. Yeah, to to try and fully arrive as much as you can. Um, I'm curious. We're going to take a tea break in a minute, but I am curious to hear. Um, from anyone who's interested in sharing anything in particular that you noticed during that body scan. So what did you notice during the body scan? Stiffness in your neck. Stiffness in your neck, okay. How did you know there was stiffness in your neck? I could feel it. I know I, have, I do have a neck problem anyway, but mm. And would you say it's more stiff or less stiff than the last time you were aware of it? <laughs> it felt a little bit more intense. Also. More intense. Yeah, yeah. And then how did you relate to that experience? Um, I just tried to observe it, just be aware that it was there, mm. and not, uh, not lose myself. Mm. Mm. And when you became aware of it, what did you notice? A little bit of dialogue thinking about it, oh, it's stiff. Mm. Um, I see your chiropractor, I've not been for a while, so. <laughs> okay, good, thank you. Yeah, so you kind of got into planning yes. and solution oriented thinking. Yeah, good. <laughs> so that's. 
just to, to pick up on this because it's very, very important. Um, the, the body scan in a way, what's so fantastic about it is it's just, it's like this te there's teachings in it everywhere that we can miss if we're just like um, ticking the body scan box. Yeah? So that, like you could just do the whole meditation around watching your thoughts around um, ideas we have about what we're feeling in the body. Yeah? Right. And, and it says something about us, doesn't it? Yeah. When you came onto the legs, I felt and, and talked about being grounded. I really felt that. Mm. <coughs> Normally, in my meditations, I don't because mm. my incline is remain on the floor is to just yeah. rise. But I felt a real weight and groundedness. Mm. Mm. So you were in touch with feeling grounded through the legs, and you were aware that that's not something that you're that familiar with. I think that's why it was noticeable. Mm. So it was different. It was it, yes. It it wasn't. You know, good or bad, it was, it was just very different. I was quite unused to it. Yeah. But by being aware, you know, you bring your awareness to it. Yeah, it's not amazing how we, if we just can remember, oh yeah, the ground is still and I can connect with it. Then in an instant, we're there. It's, it's not, there's no magic to it. It's, it's just awareness. Yeah, good. Okay, anyone else? Yeah, um, I was. Um, I noticed it changed how I felt um, emotionally because I had. I was really feeling really fearful, and I think because of that, I was quite sort of closed up inside. And so when you're going through the back, I sort of felt myself mm. like opening out. And because I sort of adopted a stronger posture, suddenly I felt this. It took the edge off the fear, and suddenly I was like, Oh, I feel feel stronger in myself just because mm. my, my posture changed. Mm. Mm. That's fantastic. Mm. That's a really important learning, isn't it? Because fear can be so strong. Mm. But there's, there's something about just establishing the posture that can then have an effect. So it's that um, one of the things you're pointing to is, which we'll talk about later in the course, is this connection between breath, body, and mind. Mm. Yeah, And how they all condition each other. And the more we can know that and be familiar with that, the more that we can do things to um, not necessarily fix the fear. Cause we, 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 in a way, the attitude of the practice is to be with whatever's there, but in a way set up the conditions so we can be with it more fully. Yeah, good. Okay, I think that's enough for now because I can tell you're all wanting your tea. <laughs> um, so we'll just, is, is uh, 15 minutes okay? Is that enough to get a cup of tea and come back? Some of you are looking at me like, no way. <laughs> if I say 15, it'll really be 20. So let's say 15, yeah? So someone asked me during the tea break, what's a tetrad? <laughs> so I'm going to describe that now. Um, so yeah, the first tetrad of the sutta. So a tetrad, if you want to look at the... Um, Kamala Sheila is one of those practitioners I was mentioning earlier that's done quite a lot of study and teaching around the sutta. And he's created this fantastic um, handout that's just a perfect kind of summary. 
Um, so today, for the first three weeks, uh, we're going to be looking at the body tetrad, which is the first tetrad. So tetrad just means um, series of four or group of four. Um, so each um, section of the sutta has four, uh, you could say, instructions to the meditator, although they're not just instructions, they're also descriptions of what naturally happens when we turn our attention to the breath. So it's very, very mysterious the way the sutta works because it both instructs us to do something and describes what happens as a natural result of having done it. <laughs> that makes sense. You can, you, you'll discover that yourself as you work more closely with the sutta. Um, so there's all, in all, uh, 16 instructions broken down into four groups of four, if that makes sense. Um, so. So today we'll, we'll be, I'll be introducing the first tetrad and then we'll be going deeper with it in the next couple of weeks. Um, so just to say a bit about the breath um, and the body. Um, so this is kind of getting to what um, we were exploring earlier in the inquiry, uh, this, this connection between mind, body, breath. Um, the breath, well the breath is, um, It's so important. I can't. I don't even know how to describe how important it is. Um, it is. It is the one thing that is always with us. Um, it is the source of life. Um, it definitely uh, requires our greatest respect, and yet we hardly ever pay any attention to it. Um, sometimes we think it's boring, and we're not interested. But what would happen? Actually, everyone can try this, unless you have a medical condition where it would be not good to try this. So just go ahead and um, block your nose and close your mouth. So now it's really interesting, isn't it? <laughs> How crazy is that? Like, we, if we just stopped breathing, what would happen? Well, we can't. We can't will ourselves stop breathing. Um, so, yeah, so there's something about the fact that it's not conscious. So it just happens. But we think we're doing something. Um, it's the giver of life. It's always present. It brings us into our body. Immediately, as soon as we bring awareness to it, we arrive in the present moment and in this body. Can't arrive in anyone else's body. Um, and once it's gone, it's gone. And that's not just, and I don't just mean like death, I mean also just in every moment. So you can't hold on to it. It comes, it goes, it comes, it goes, it comes, it goes. All we can do is bring awareness to that process. And no two breaths are the same. No two breaths are the same. Um, there, each breath is a completely unique phenomenon that will never happen again. So um, this is from Lama Govinda. He says, the most important result of the practice of Anapanasati is the realization that the process of breathing is the connecting link between conscious and subconscious, gross material and fine material, 
volitional and non-volitional, and therefore the most perfect expression of the nature of all of life. Those exercises that lead to the deeper states of meditation begin therefore with the observation and regulation of breath, which in this way is converted from an automatic or non-volitional function into a conscious one, and finally into a medium of spiritual forces of prajna in its deepest sense. So yeah, that, I just think that's so fantastic, the point that he's making about how um, when we train ourselves to turn towards the breath, we're training ourselves to turn towards something that's unconscious and making it conscious, bringing it into consciousness and becoming intimate with it and every detail of it and the whole full experience of it happening. And by doing that, we're then kind of exercising a muscle that can do that with everything else that we're not conscious of. So all the things that we do that we're not conscious of, we can also then start to turn towards and become intimate with. And the breath is with us through all of that. It's always there to, to kind of come back to, to anchor in as we explore the fullness of our experience. So the, the four foundations of mindfulness start with body and move on to feelings. Uh, pleasant, unpleasant, neutral sensations in the body. Um, and then moves on to the mind, so that the objects that um, arise and pass in, in, the, um, yeah, in the relative mind, you could say. Um, mental states, the kleshas, the poisons, which we'll explore in more depth. And then finally, this very mysterious word, dhammas, which can be translated as just everything. So then mindfulness of everything. But particularly in this sutta, you're looking at the process of unbinding, um, seeing things as impermanent, seeing things as fading away, and then opening it up into what's there then when we open into the truth of impermanence, open into the lakshanas. So that's just a very brief kind of brushstrokes overview of the, um, the four tetrads, you could say, starting with the breath. So that the breath is not just the beginning point, but is with us through the entire practice. So we're breathing with the fullness of our experience. So we're gonna do a practice now. We're gonna do kind of an exploration of the first tetrad and a little bit of inquiry around it. So I'll just read it before we start. So the Buddha instructs the meditator. While breathing in long, one knows I breathe in long. While breathing out long, one knows I breathe out long. While breathing in short, one knows I breathe in short. While breathing out short, one knows I breathe out short. One trains oneself, sensitive to the whole body I breathe in, sensitive to the whole body I breathe out. One trains oneself, calming the whole body I breathe in, calming the whole body I breathe out. So the Buddha isn't necessarily just saying, be aware of long and short breaths, but what he's saying is, get curious and interested in the quality of your breath. Not just an idea of breathing, but what is actually happening when you breathe. And then notice the effect that that has on the body. That's the instruction. So we'll just do that now for a bit. So when you're ready, just connecting back in with the ground um, so if you had a sense of stillness, like what Bill was describing, you could just find that again. 
So that's there always immediately available to us. And if there was a particular place in the body um, that you felt like you could come home in when we did the body scan, just go back to that place, a place that felt at ease, open, relaxed, ready, receptive. Could be the hands, the sitting bones. So just find your anchor in the body. And then when you're ready, and with, <coughs> with purpose, with feeling, just coming into relationship with the breath. So wherever you find it, and however it is. So one question you could ask yourself to help get interested and curious in the breath is how do I know I'm breathing? Besides the fact that you're alive, in this moment, how do you know you're breathing? What are the sensations that tell you that air is passing in and out of the body through the nose or the mouth? So maybe the breath feels shallow in the chest, or maybe it's deep. Maybe it feels fine, like silk, or coarse, like sand. Maybe you have a sense of the temperature of the breath. Maybe it changes as you breathe in and out. And then maybe you notice that you're less interested and you get distracted and then you come back.
So this was what the Buddha did. He sat down and he directed his attention to his breath. And probably he felt very similar sensations to what you feel now as he breathed. And he stayed with it. So now you have a choice. You can stay with the breath if you're finding it useful to maintain your awareness in the sensations as the breath comes and goes. Or you can begin to expand your awareness if you feel sufficiently grounded and concentrated. You can begin to expand your awareness to include the whole of the body as you're breathing. So taking in all of the sensations, gross and subtle, as you breathe, sensitive to the whole body breathing in, sensitive to the whole body breathing out. (coughs) Waking up to the breathing body.
What's the raw sensation now? So before any idea of what is supposed to be happening or how it is to be in a body, (coughs) can you be with your experience as it is completely raw, uncooked? And then, can we be aware of the effect that has on the body? So calming the whole body, breathing in, calming the whole body, breathing out. (coughs) So with this last instruction, we're not actually doing anything rather than just being aware of the effect. So turning our awareness to knowing a calm body, familiarizing ourselves with a calm state. So for the last few moments of the practice, I just want to invite you to drop any effort that you're making and just rest in the space that's left.
okay. So I've been using this word inquiry, but I haven't defined it yet. Um, so when we do a, a short sit like that, um, where I'm giving a bit of input, afterwards I'll ask people to share a bit about what they noticed during the practice. So we already heard from um, Anne and Rosie and Bill, I believe, in the last session that we did. Um, so we're going to do that again. And you'll get more used to the format as we go on. So um, anyone else interested in sharing what you noticed during that practice? I felt much more, um, much, much less distracted than I have been meditating for a while. When we were doing the body scan this morning, I didn't say anything about my <laughs> mind was all over the shop, but I wasn't always focusing. But I don't know, it's something to do with thinking about your whole your whole body and thinking about not just the breath, but you know the way it, it the way what you know what happens with my stomach and my chest and my nose, all of that. And also, you know, the kind of inquiry, not inquiry, that's what you just said, but you know, the thinking about what it was actually what was actually happening meant I was much more focused. So your attention was very much with yeah, the experience very, of breathing. Very focused. Yeah. And then and then you were aware of the effect that that had on your mind, which yeah. was that you became concentrated. And then it's like there was stuff happening, but you weren't drawn to it. Yeah. So you were also aware that that habit to go with something, be it a thought or a sound, wasn't at play either at all or as strongly as it normally would be. Great. <laughs> So that's a, a direct and immediate um, kind of experiential um, stamp of approval on the first tetrad. Like the Buddha wasn't joking around, you know, like he said it as it is. And you just described it perfectly. Great. Seems to be, um, Helen can't hear. Oh. Oh. Helen, uh, sorry, I'll um, repeat what people are saying. Yeah, good. Sorry. Others? What did you notice? Nothing is too small or insignificant to mention. <laughs> In fact, the things that we think are insignificant sometimes can be quite interesting if we unpick them a bit. I think I felt... Um, I'll get to you. I just felt settled in my body. You, you know? felt settled in your body? Yeah. And a lot of times I feel uncomfortable, or especially mm -hmm. when I sit here, because I have my cushions exactly right at home. And yeah. <laughs> and I sometimes I can't get exact, I can't get the right feel. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I felt much more settled and I felt much more able just to focus on mm -hmm. the in and out. Mm -hmm. So what was it that, what conditioning factors do you think were at play that helped you to feel more settled than you normally would coming to the center? I don't know, maybe the, maybe the 
guidance helped, mm. just hearing it, mm. and that kept drawing me back. Yeah, good. Yeah. Good, yeah. So we have the instructions. Um, actually, I, I would encourage you all to, um, if you're able, to have the instructions in front of you when you're meditating. You could even open your eyes and just read them. Um, if you feel like that's useful at a time when you get distracted, just come back to, or even memorize them. Actually, memorizing the tetrads is really good. Um, I got to a point in my practice where I'd sit down and start meditating, and all, all, right away, this voice would just say, sensitive to the body, I breathe in, sensitive to the body, I breathe in, I breathe out, without me even kind of being conscious that I was doing it. So we can just um, imprint the Buddha's words in our mind. Okay, uh, you had your hand up in the back there. Hello. You felt like you were in a trance. A bit. What did that feel like? Gorgeous. Well, how would you, like, say I'm an alien from outer space and I just landed here and I have no idea what a trance is. How would you describe it to me? You felt grounded and in your body. But you had a sense of also kind of observing the body. Yeah, so. Yeah, that's great. Thanks for saying more about that. Um, so we're not trying to create trance-like experiences, um, but again, um, byproduct of the practice can be that, well, becoming aware of the observer, and we're going to ex explore the observer a bit more later in the course, but becoming aware of that faculty that we have to be able to turn awareness onto itself can feel a bit... Um, in a way, it's, it's, it, it can be, feel quite unfamiliar, actually, like, oh, we're, we're waking up to this body, and we can be aware that we're doing that, and we can be aware of how that process unfolds, and all of that can have kind of that, that sense of being quite present, and also that there's like another, there's like a witness to that process, yeah. So yeah, that's really interesting. So what, how were you in relation to that experience? Mm. Really kept on the mm. really. It felt um, quite a deep experience. Um, I, I felt like a, um, I went deeper in meditation than I, that I do. Mm. Mm. So you used the breath as an anchor, and then you felt um, that you went deeper. Yeah, yeah. And how do you feel now? Um, very calm. Mm. Do you still, are you still having a sense of being in a trance or did that go when you opened your eyes? Yeah, so in a way it's a bit of an illusion, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, good. Um, so yeah, and I appreciate you saying that you, you just came back to the breath. So you didn't like make something out of it. It wasn't like, oh, now I'm in, you know, 50 yana or something. It's like, no, it's just what's happening now and it, it'll change like everything else and just keep going back to the breath. It's great. Um, okay, good. So I thought um, we would end the evening with doing a short ritual around intentions. So you've um, got a piece of paper, a little slip of paper and a pen. So just take a moment now to write or you could draw um, or if you don't want to do either that you could just reflect in your own mind on an intention that you want to set for your 
how you're going to engage with this course over the next eight weeks. Um, and there was someone, uh, just to say at the tea break, someone said something to me. Um, I can't actually remember the content of what she said, but then she said, I'm going to make that my intention <laughs> for the next eight weeks. So it could be that something came out of uh, any of the practices we explored tonight that maybe is a thread for you that you'd like to follow. I know this might sound like a really thick question, but what is an intention and what's not an intention? Mm. Um, I'm not sure I know what an intention sounds like. Okay, so Helen, the question is, what's an intention? So what do you think an intention is? <laughs> you should have you should have known that that was coming. This is someone from my study group who I know quite well, so you should have known that was coming. The will. Yeah, will, commitment, yeah, that all sounds really good. Yeah, so something that you want to consciously kind of, like that, that phrase sets mindfulness to the floor. It's yeah. like, what do you want to set to the floor for yourself? What do you want to be mindful of? What do you want to be curious about, even, you could say? What, what are you curious about in your own practice, in your own experience that you want to keep coming back to over the course of the of the course. It could also be an intention like, um, it could be something that you, in, in particular, like uh, an attitude that you want to bring, for example. So if you're aware, oh, I remember now what the person at the break said. She said she was aware of how willful she was during the body scan, and that she was going to set an intention around willfulness. So yeah, we know ourselves pretty well. I, I think, you know, at this point, you know, we're all Mitra's and Order members, so we have a sense of who we are and what we're trying to do. So it could just—it could be a rehashing uh, of something you've been working with. It doesn't have to be new. It could just be to be present. So it doesn't—it doesn't have to be flashy. In fact, it could just be really simple. Yeah. So yeah, just um, take a moment to. Write it down. And then what we're going to do is we're going to chant the Shakyamuni mantra. And there's this um, bowl here on the shrine. So feel free to come up in droves and um, make whatever offerings you'd like to make and drop your intention in the bowl. And in a way, that's just our way of kind of giving it over to the Buddha. So we're just, in, we're just trusting. In a way, it's like we're placing our faith in the Buddha that by making this attention, something will happen, we don't know what, we have no control really, but um, we're willing to put the conditions in place for something to happen. So is there uh, someone out there who'd like to start the Shakyamuni Mantra? Yeah, great, thanks Dainandi. So whatever version you feel inspired to. And we'll just, um, we'll just make our offerings during the mantra, we'll let the mantra fade, and then that'll be the end of the evening. And um, maybe we can put away everything in silence, 
And remember that we're trying to be in silence on this floor. And then when you get down the tea room, you can say goodbye to your friends. Yeah? And I'll come down if you have any questions. I'll just come down and we can chat down there. Diane Hundy's just made a lovely suggestion. Um, she said we could make a copy for ourselves. <laughs> so in case you think you're afraid you might forget your intention once you put it in the bowl, um, feel free, there's more paper up here. You could rip your paper in half. Feel free to make a copy for yourself or write it on one of the handouts. I just realized there's one more thing I wanted to say that's important to say because um, you're going to be doing the home practice. So the mindfulness of breathing, um, the way it's been passed down to us, the way Bhante's taught us um, using the counting is useful. So if you find it useful, feel free. Um, but I'd also like to encourage you to feel free to just follow the um, instructions as they are in the sutta, not to worry so much about the counting. So in a way, um, you know, it's, it's all pointing at the same thing. It's just maybe a little bit different. And I just want to encourage you to play with it and trust yourself as a practitioner that you can kind of play around and innovate. So you have the structure and you can sort of deviate as you feel inspired. What do you do with the pens? What do you do with the pens? Yeah. Uh, maybe you could bring them up here, actually. That would be great. Yeah, bring them up here and just leave them. Okay, so we'll just sit, sit for 30 seconds and then Diana will start the mantra. Yeah. 